You're listening to Beyond the Measure, Episode 5. Listen as I, a young composer, and my wife, a young choir director, interview other music educators in order to gain insight into their own success in the classroom. We have a lot to learn, and we want you to learn with us. No matter your age, ensemble, or experience, this is the ideal podcast for music educators, composers, and students alike. So join us as we go beyond the measure. Hey everyone, it's Christian, and I'm here with... Kara! We are here with one of our... Let's see, this is... We don't know yet if this is going to be our fourth episode, fifth episode... Fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth, one of those two. Um, And we have a really special guest that we interview in today's episode. Who are we talking to today, Kara? We are talking to Dr. Bernard Scher. (laughs) Yes, so Dr. Scher, he was... Uh, one of my you know main professors that I studied under at Hardin Simmons because uh, he was the uh, you know, head director of the composition department at HSU. Um, he's teaching adjunct there now. He just recently stepped down from that position. But um, yeah, I, I spent four years uh, studying under him and I learned so much from him during the time that I was there. Um, and you're going to hear more about this in the episode, but he has such a wide and deep amount of knowledge in many different areas because he has some experience um as a as a band director and um he got his was it his masters in conducting orchestral conducting orchestral conducting and so and then also i mean again he's a composer um and he's really really smart when it comes to music theory so you're going to get to hear a lot of good stuff in regards to that yeah, so uh, this a little disclaimer, this episode is a little bit long, um, but we go over and talk about a lot of really, really good topics. So in the first half, you're going to hear more about Dr. Cher's story and how he came to be where he is now. And then in, um, what else did we talk about? We talked about um, advice for young composers. So if you have any students um, that are wanting to compose. This would be a great episode for them to listen to. And um, in the second half, um, we talk more about um, his experience um, teaching and um, how he had to recruit for a very small band program his first six years of teaching and how to... Just to kind of pique the your curiosity he started out with six people in his his band program Mm -hmm. and so you're going to get to hear a little bit more about how he grew that program yeah and then we also talk about the importance of music literacy and music theory and how to implement that into your classroom so lots of really good things Mm -hmm. so without further ado here is our interview with dr bernard share Thank you, Dr. Sher, for coming on the show with us. Um, you're one of our first guests, and um, man, I think about I think about my time at Hardin Simmons, and honestly, I think you were the very first music faculty member I ever met at HSU. Really? Yeah, awesome. because I I toured. And you still came. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I still came. That's right. Holy moly! <laughs> and so, yeah, because it was it was summer. It was the summer before my senior year of high school so that would have been summer of 2016 and i toured hardin simmons 
and I got to meet with you because I was, I already knew I was wanting to do composition. Um, and, uh, they said, well, you can meet with a faculty composition faculty member if you want. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I would love to do that. And so after I took my tour, I went and I met with you and we just got to talk and everything. And my parents were there too. And I remember you said you liked Star Trek and that won nice. my dad over like oh, immediately. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, what's funny is that I, right now, I am racking my brain trying to remember that. <laughs> and it, it, oh, it's, yeah. well, that's already six years ago. Oh, oh I know. It Are you is. serious? Yeah, six years <gasps> that's ago. Because when you mentioned, you know, 2016, so I'm thinking, was I teaching summer school, yeah. you know? And yeah. anyway, why was I there that day? But anyway, I'm glad sure. I was. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, and the other thing that, um, this is just kind of a side thing that I'll just always remember in terms of like my experience at that, that day at Hardin Simmons is mm-hmm. when we, we met in, uh, in 211, uh, at HSU room 211, the, the big room on the second floor. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. We met in there and, and Brandon Allen and Sam Galloway came in because they heard that there was a prospective composition student. And so they <laughs> oh knocked on the door, came in, and they were all excited, and they introduced themselves. Oh, yeah. And and it was just a really cool feeling of, it's like, oh, wow, there, there are people here that, that want me. <laughs> These are the nice people. So. Well, that's fabulous. Well, of course, well, you know those two guys. They're a yeah. lot of fun. I mean, I just saw them this week. I mean, oh, yeah. we're there, uh, Brandon is playing trombone. And Sam is playing French horn in David Richardson's oh, uh, senior oh. composition recital, oh, which is like Friday. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. uh, and so I'm playing trumpet in a, a couple of, well, three of his pieces. And so, um, you know, so, I mean, not only they composition students, but like, yeah, they're like br- fellow brass <laughs> yeah. students. So like yeah. I look down the row and there's, oh, hey, there's Brandon. Oh, oh wait, there, there, <laughs> there, there's, uh, there's, uh, uh, Sam. And then I look up and David's conducting. Yeah. So there you that's go. So very cool. cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I was, I was thinking um, we need to have, uh, we need to have, well, I'd like to have both of them on the show at some point, but yeah. especially Sam, kind of like you, Carrie, he, he just did his first yeah. year teaching as a assistant band director. Um, in Holly, right? In, in Holly, yes, yeah. in, in middle school, middle school. So that's definitely an experience that, you know, would be good for us to, yeah. <laughs> to hear about. Well, I remember whenever I first met you, it was at our... It was like the week before school started and um, it was during like all those theory placements. So you were, <laughs> you were doing all like the dictation yeah, and it was, yeah. I thought it was so hard. I was like, and you had a straight face. You're like playing the piano. <laughs> and I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I was intimidated. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, no. It's yeah. just me. <laughs> I, I was just trying to. Make sure that I didn't scare everybody away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, I mean, that kind of, maybe I don't think it was just you, but just music theory in general intimidates oh, a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, but, and that's imagine. probably something we can talk about uh, more in a little bit, which yeah. I'll just, I'll tell people right now that I don't think music theory in, intimidates Dr. Bernard Sher no. at all because he is a genius when it comes <laughs> oh, to music no, theory. On. But we'll, we'll talk about more of that, about all that right. in a second. But all first right. of all, okay, well, first just tell us what, you know, what instrument you play, what kind of ensembles you've been in and what kind of like just musical background you have. And, um, and then we can, I want to ask you a little bit more just about your kind of story in general. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll be brief here and, and, um, kind of mix this story in with, uh, the instruments I play. So I, 
was born and raised in a city called Tulare, California. Uh, like any kid who went to public school, I started in the fourth grade playing those little tonette instruments. You know, they're they're like little tiny recorders. And then the fifth grade, I wanted to play in band. And so I thought about it and uh, there was a, I had a friend who lived like three doors down. He played trumpet and I thought, oh man, that's a cool instrument. So I, in the fifth grade, I started playing trumpet in band and I really loved it. And so then the sixth grade we had, that's when we would begin middle school was in the sixth grade in California during the seventies. And so, uh, I, I just started playing trumpet and band and loved it. And then my dad got me a, an old beat up trumpet. I mean, this thing, I still own it cause I can't get rid of it, but it, it's something that you would see in, in like a, a, a bad pawn shop. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was horrible, but I, I started on that. Then finally, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and, and I think I was in high school and my dad, he saw that I was serious about it. He bought me my first Bach trumpet and man, I love that thing. So I played it all through high school and I practiced my butt off and I just became, um, uh, just fell in love with music. And so in high school I played a concert band, marching band, jazz band, and my senior year, I got good enough. I was an all-stater. So I was all-state trumpet. My senior year, I'd done a lot of different all-state, uh, well, not uh, honor bands at the county level, city level, and regional. And anyway, so it was really an honor to be at all-state. So then uh, when I, though, I was kind of a screw-off in high school, so I didn't get <laughs> as good grades as I really should have. So I decided I, I, mean, I couldn't go and I didn't want, I wasn't going to have the grades to get into the university I wanted to. So what I did is I went to a junior college for two years, College of the Sequoias in Visalia, California. And so I just, again, I thrived. And one of the things that I discovered was that part of being a music major is that, you know, you have to take theory, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody takes mm -hmm. theory. And so I got into my theory classes and I just loved it. I couldn't believe how much I loved it. <laughs> that makes one of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> but I, I mean, I just ate, I couldn't get enough of it. And so, um, uh, I started writing little tunes because uh, the book at the time um, had a lot of composition exercises for theory students. And so I just started writing and practicing and uh, studying. I took school very seriously when I got to uh, College of the Sequoias and I got really, really good grades. So I was able to transfer to the university I wanted to go to, which was UCLA. And so at that time, in California, and I don't know if they still do that, but they had a, a, a track where if you got really high grades uh, at, at a junior college level, they did, they wouldn't make you take the SAT or ACT or anything. So because the those tests are supposed to say, well, are you going to be successful in college? Well, I was, right? And yeah, yeah. yeah. So. So I auditioned at UCLA and I got in. And so then I uh, moved there and I thought I was going to be a trumpet major at UCLA, but 
I don't know. There were, it just seemed like, uh, I didn't get along that well with the, my trumpet teacher. And I thought, Oh man, I, I don't know. And then when I get out making a living as a, as a studio trumpet player in LA where there's just jillions of them, you know, and, and you're going to have to have two or three jobs just to make ends meet. And so I thought, no, get an ed degree. So then I was music ed at UCLA as my undergraduate degree. And I, I, of course I was playing in band and orchestra and, 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 and wind ensemble and you name it, brass ensemble, blah, blah, blah. I was doing all kinds of stuff. But then, uh, uh, part of being a music major, and you guys know that because you're both conductors. Well, you take conducting. Well, I fell in love with conducting and I fell in love with orchestral music. And so I got a master's. I stayed there and got a master's degree in orchestral conducting, uh, and master's of fine arts. They've since turned that degree into a doctorate of musical arts. So I kind of kicked myself. I thought, God, if I had just waited it out, I could have got a, my second DMA. But anyway, or for a DMA. And so anyway, I graduated in, uh, uh, in 88 and I, I had a choice to make. So it was either going to starve and pursue, <laughs> well, basically yeah, now, no. now I have an ed degree with a master's of fine arts in orchestra conducting. So, but I didn't have a teaching credential UCLA at the time divided the, what they did is they, you can get an education degree in four years and then you could go anywhere in the state of California, either a Cal State system or stay at UCLA or at UC and get it's, they called it your credentialing year. And so that's when you would take all your, uh, uh non-music ed classes. That's when you would do your student, uh, official student teaching, and then you'd be credentialed at the end of it. So that's how they did it. Uh, you know, you remember you were at Hardin Simmons. It was basically a five-year degree because they put that all yeah. inside everybody's degree. Anyway, so the deal is, so, you know, I didn't have public school teacher credential and I had to make a choice, either uh, starve and try to pursue a conducting career, which would be, you know, extremely difficult or get married. Uh, I had met um, my wife, Donna. We started dating. We'd been dating for two years and I wanted to get married. So what I did was I said, I'm going to get married and I'm going to find a job somewhere and support mm-hmm. my wife. So I, I got a job, oddly enough, at my wife's high school. She went to Santa Fe, uh, she went to St. Paul High School in Santa Fe Springs, California. And that was my first job was their band director Mm. right out of college. So I go there and it's a little tiny band. Oh, Oh. it was so hapless. I felt so (laughs) bad for those kids. (laughs) I, 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 I created a band camp that summer as after I got hired and I beat down the doors trying to get kids, but I'll never forget this. My very first rehearsal during my band camp, I had six students, six (laughs) students. And I had to, and I was petrified because I had to put together some type of marching band show in like, like three weeks. Right. Yeah. So my heart sank. Were you by yourself? I was by myself, no assistance, no nothing. And so I was able to corral a bunch of kids, and I think we had about 22 okay. musicians, 
by our very first halftime show at the football game, that very first home game. We had about 22 uh, musicians. We had about two, maybe one or two pit um, uh, mallets. And then we had a little tiny, um, what they call a drill team, which was a, 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 um, a color guard. So we managed to put together, we muddled through and by golly, the kids had a great time and I, I, I had a great time and sure enough, I was there for six years, but all that time there I was composing, I, I would go come home at night, I would compose pieces for whatever and, or make arrangements. I was a big arranger while I was there, arranging all the time for my, my kids. So I was arranging, arranging, arranging. So anyway, what I did is I thought, you know, I want to go back to school and pursue a doctorate in comp theory. So I called up my old teachers at UCLA and I said, well, what do you think? And he says, yeah, of course. I mean, you're a composer now. That's what you do. You're arranging, you're composing. And, uh, but they said, you know, this place, go somewhere else and get it all at different perspectives. So I did. That was the best advice because then I looked around at different schools. I applied to various across the country, was interviewed at some prestigious schools, but didn't get in. I did get in, though, at University of Oregon, and it was the best thing ever because Oregon had fantastic teachers, a wonderful, supportive uh, climate of, of supporting new music. It was just amazing. And I learned a lot and they were also had great theory teachers. So it took four years to get uh, the doctorate there. I was uh, teaching uh, theory as a grad student. And then um, I graduated and I was hired as an adjunct there as well. So I was teaching uh, comp theory and adjuncting at Oregon for two years. And then uh, this, during that second year, I applied for Hardin-Simmons. And that's when I got hired in 2000 <clears throat> at Hardin-Simmons. And so the rest is history. So I, I had been there. And by the time you got there in 2016, I had already been there 16 years and so, um, uh, that's, that's my background. And, um, I took over for Andy Patterson senior. Uh, he had been there for 40 years. Wow. Yeah. He was an amazing, had a huge, uh, wonderful reputation. And so it was an honor to continue his program and make ad adjustments as I, um, uh, deem necessary. So anyway, that's kind of my history, how I got cool. to, Hardin Simmons. So I still play trumpet. Um, I, like I, you know, I dabble in piano because I mm -hmm. teach theory yeah. and, uh, you know, um, I sing as you know, yeah, I, yeah. I sing. sing tenor. And then, uh, I of course compose tons of music and, uh, but I do other stuff as well because Oregon had such a broad curriculum I also took a year of electronic music, and so, um, uh, so uh, you know, that's what I do. A lot of stuff I do now. So I, I'm a professional recording, li live streaming, um, um, music technology um, consulting. What else do I do? I can't even. I now teach adjunct at Hardin Simmons. I teach adjunct at McMurray. 
I'm partnered with my wife in B&D Music Services. And of course, I uh, play in the Key City Brass uh, Quintet. And so um, I'm always bouncing around. In fact, right before this interview, I had just finished editing in Pro Tools uh, a concert that I recorded just a couple days ago. And so I delivered that uh, to a client. Well, I... When I say delivered it to a client, I uploaded it to the <laughs> cloud and they'll download it. And once they're downloaded, it's delivered. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm doing. And next week, let's see, I do a, a recording of a jazz band on Monday, live stream of choirs on Tuesday. I do a rehearsal on Wednesday where I play trumpet. Thursday, I'm uh, live streaming uh, ACU's bands. Friday, I'm playing in a, a, a recital. Uh, Sunday, I'm live streaming a, a, a chamber music concert. And so it's boom, You're boom, kind of busy. boom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, that's that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much going all the time. Yeah. Well, part of the reason we wanted to have you on here was, and I think you just kind of showed everyone why, is that you have a really wide variety of mm-hmm. of experiences, and I think it's one of the things we're wanting to really do here on the show is uh, we want to kind of emphasize the importance of like the relationship between um uh between composers and music educators um and it's it's it kind of works out for us since uh Kara's a choir director and I'm a composer and we're married yeah. <laughs> so that works yeah, out yeah. pretty good but mm-hmm. um but especially you know uh having the perspective from someone like you who is both a you know a really you know heavy compose a lot of music but you've also taught a lot of stuff as well so it's just really cool to be able to have those kind of um those kind of perspectives um one thing i was i a question i just kind of thought of was as a composer do you think you would have so you said i mean you didn't want to starve so you went into you know the teaching field and everything do you think as a composer you know how beneficial was it to become a teacher of music as a composer? Like how beneficial was that to you for your writing? Since you had process? to arrange a lot for your Oh, students. I mean, it was fabulous. I mean, I, I couldn't recommend it more. I, I think not, it's, it's because, well, when you're preparing to be a teacher, you're already learning uh, so many of the social skills you need to do to work with performing mm-hmm. musicians. Uh, and, and in this case is a teacher, young ones. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is that you're, you're, you're listening and to, to their skill levels and you're learning how to craft music that strikes a balance between, um, music that challenges yet music that doesn't discourage right now. And that's a very difficult balance to achieve. Um, unless you've spent time in the classroom in front of students, because, you know, you, you, uh, uh, somebody could be trained at elite conservatories and, uh, go straight through, live in New York city and work with only the best musicians their whole life. Okay. Great. That's awesome. And, and good for you. But, um, you eventually, uh, are going to want to work for the rest of us 
you're going to work with musicians of all levels, even beginners, like who have never even touched an instrument so or, or, or sung a, a piece of music. And so they're musicians too. Even at the very beginning, and and I and we should never forget that that they're they're just beginning to go and delve into that, and they're and they're just learning to love it, and so to write music that engages them, and 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 pulls them into music and performance, um, to be able to write that is wonderful and knowing how to do that. So I would always recommend that for uh, anyone who studies music or or even young composers. I would recommend go out there and see if you could write a little piece of music for your band or your choir. Mm -hmm. See it and ask your teacher about it. And then ask your teacher, will this work? Will this work? What do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, can we do this? And um, as you know, you both know, um, you, when you got to college, uh, how many pieces did you have performed by your college uh, choir? By the choir? Yeah. Um, I had three, I was, I was blessed enough to have three, but then I also had, um, let's see, I had another, you know, like solo piece done by a couple, you know, viola mm-hmm. and piano. And then, and they actually commissioned it from me. Yeah. Uh, it was just a little arrangement of silent night, but that was a really good experience. I had another friend, uh, commission an arrangement of a, a solo vocal arrangement of a song she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, well, even now, even after I've graduated some, some friends that are still in college, you know, David Richardson, actually, yeah. he, he commissioned a trumpet piece for me that he did at his trumpet recital a couple you months bet. ago. You so yeah, yeah, it's, that's been huge for me. Um, and I was, I was going to say like, I can really relate and completely agree with what you're saying about that because, you know, I just spent you know, I just spent, you know, four years in college really working on just, you know, writing more music and, and learning the ins and outs of that and my own voice and that my process and everything. But but now that's what I'm really having to start, you know, working on is making music that is what you, exactly what you just said, accessible to students that are at, you know, all different grade levels and but still, you know, fun and, and engaging, as you said. And that's, that's all, that's kind of why I wanted to do this podcast to begin with from, from, for me personally, right. um, is to, to learn more about that because I haven't taught yet, you know, right, and, right. and I'm sure I will at some point, or there's a good chance I will. I, I'm, I haven't thought that far ahead, but I know for a fact that that would be really beneficial to me. And, and like I said, it kind of works out. It's already been really helpful for me to, to watch the, the little bit that I've even the little bit that I've seen Kara do and with her classes and everything and from talking to other directors in town, it's, it's already given me so much insight into that. So, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. that's, yeah, it is. And, and I just want to tell the audience, in fact, you're going to get a performance of an arrangement you did for the, the, um, Lone Star State Trumpet Guild. You're going to get that oh, yeah. in San Antonio. Did you know yeah. that we're going to do La, your arrangement of La Prairie mm-hmm. at the International Trumpet Guild Conference in oh, San Antonio? Really? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, we're going to go down there. We're going to oh, play sweet. arrangement. Yeah. So, it's, wow, I didn't even know. That's, yeah. That's you didn't know? Oh, I, no. Oh, dude, dude. Okay. Well, okay. now. Now you know. Oh, sweet. <laughs> well, when, when, when is that? When is that happening? Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Let me rack my brain. Um, the ITG conference is in the first week of June. I think the performance is th- Thursday, 
June 3rd. But don't quote okay. me, but it's right around there. I think I'd have okay. to go back and check my emails. But yeah, we're gonna we're wow, gonna perform it. Oh, uh, yeah. sweet. Well I'm gonna Maybe we can do a little road trip. Go, yeah, go down there. Um is that is it at the Henry V. Gonzalez Center or is no, it No, no, let's see. It's um at the Hyatt Regency. Oh, okay. Okay. But so it's, it's a great big hotel okay. that we all go to. Okay, gotcha. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah, it was it was fun doing that. And that was a good learning process for me because I had never done like a... Like a that, revoicing type of thing. I'd never really done that type of arrangement before. Yeah. And, and especially brass in general, I'm just not super... That's still, I feel like my, my least... I have the least experience in that area, so... That's awesome. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. excited. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's awesome. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if I was to recommend then for um, also, let's say you're a, a high school, um, you know, composer and you're, you've written pieces for your high school band or choir orchestra. Um, I would recommend that what they do in terms of preparation, if you're, if you're serious about being, if they're serious about being a music major, um, I would say, you know, develop really good habits of practicing and listening because, uh, one of the things that what happens is that when you, when you go to college, you start becoming a music major, you're going to be pulled in a lot of different directions. I mean, you're going to want to be in a lot of different groups and then there's social groups and then, and then there's other classes and it just goes on and on and on. Then you're at home in a dorm or at, in a dorm and people are loud and goofing around and, and it's really easy to kind of develop bad habits and slack off. And so what I would recommend is that just practice, practice, practice right now, get, develop your musicianship, find a music teacher, find a composition teacher and, and just get to work. And then when you go to college, keep up that work ethic. But also too, I would say if you do get a degree in composition, just realize it's going to be difficult to, to like, you don't just walk out and become a composer. And the next yeah. thing you know, mm-hmm. you're writing the next great film score <laughs> to, uh, yeah. you know, um, uh, Spielberg's next yeah. blockbuster. It just doesn't <laughs> happen. You know, and so um, uh, it just takes work and dedication Mm -hmm. and you have to have uh, a a ton of varied skills. I mean, I I look at you, we're recording this interval uh, interview on, 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 on a music, on a a digital interface that's Mm -hmm. plugged into your uh, computer and we we got these three mics. You had to set it all up yourself. You yep. had to figure out what to buy. You have to know how to use a DAW, mm-hmm. and 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 then of course now and you also compose and arrange. Uh, in addition to working as a, a recruiter at a university, yeah. and so and and I look at Kara. Kara, you're what? You're a, you're a middle school teacher or elementary? Middle school and high school. Yeah, middle school and high school. Plus, you're still singing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you're still singing. And it's just like th- being that one person where all you do is one thing. Um, and um, unless you're like a world-class artist, you know, and maybe there'll be a world-class artist out there listening to this, unless you're that type of person, um, Having just only one thing 
you better be really good at it. I mean, really, really, really good at it and, and actually catch some lucky breaks, but everyone else, you know, you just got to buckle down and you, and you just got to be diverse and, and just, um, have a wide ranging skill set. That's what I'd recommend. And I think a lot of times being, being diverse about the skill sets actually, it, it, it like helps you more like it. Even for like jobs, mm-hmm. showing that you have all that experience and stuff helps you, yeah. you know, put yourself out there a little more. Yeah, exactly. Plus, it also helps each of the individual skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like you oh, know, yeah. you know, learning other a, 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 a diverse amount of skills increases each of them individually. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like when I was studying conducting, when I was a conducting uh, student at UCLA, um, I. All I did was study and listen to orchestral scores, right? So, I mean, I just immersed in this. And what happens? I, that's where I learned how, how to score for orchestra. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like literally learning. My composite, my, my conducting lessons were literally also orchestral scoring lessons, mm-hmm. you know? And then uh, when, when I studied theory, well, that that now you're learning the nuts and bolts of music. And so when you write a melody, Hey, you know how to harmonize it. Hey, you, you know, you know what a cadence is and you, you know where to put a cadence and, and, and you know how to construct phrases and, and, and score these for various ensembles and, and so on and so, so on. And so theory was connected to, um, composition, um, uh, conducting was connected to composition, um, ear training. Oh my goodness. You have to be able to dictate yeah. your own okay. music and, mm-hmm. and, and, and as a conductor and when you're on the stand, I mean, Kara, you have to have ears to be able to help your choir mm-hmm. sing better, you know? And so it just, it's all integrated and, and, and it, everything cross fertilizes and intersects. And so it's wonderful. Yeah. I actually wanted to go back to your first six years of teaching at that small school. Cause mm-hmm. I'm kind of in the same boat. I teach at a really small district and a pretty small program. And I kind of want to know like, how did you make it grow? Cause you said you started with 22. Did you see it, your program grow yes. within those six years? Yes, I did. I, I sure did. So um, my first band i got that first year starting from some, just six players in the uh, uh six players in that 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 first day of band camp now eventually obviously i i i i got on the phone all right so i said i got those six kids i said okay guys who are the names of the students that were in band last year who didn't come today who you think will still be in band. And I got their names. I went over to the administrative office. I got their home phone numbers and I got on the phone and I just beat down the doors. Hey, um, this is Mr. Cher. I'm your new band teacher. Uh, we would really like to have you in band. This is a personal invite. Um, and I talked to the kid, I talked to the parent and I'd say, you know, come back to band, come back to band. And so I did a lot of, uh, cold calls, of uh, that the first week and I, and I, I stuck with it, you know, 
I had to be flexible that first year. You know, kids, you know, um, this is back in the 90s, so it's not nearly as bad then as it was now. But, you know, kids got a lot of interests. And so, and they're just feeling you out. So if I was real rigid and I say, you have to be in band and you can't be in any other thing, uh, um, I would have lost kids. So I had to be flexible. So not only did I beat down the doors, but I uh, kids said, well, I kind of want to be in, in softball or I kind of want to be in this. And I said, well, you know, see what you could do. You know, maybe you could come to band three days a week or, or you know, and just you know, do it on the off season or whatever. I was bending over backwards to, to help kids navigate all their different interests and, and just, just try to build it up. Over six years. So here's what happened at St. Paul. When I first got there at St. Paul, they had a student enrollment of about 1,250 uh, students. And this is a private Catholic school. Uh, and then um, through various economic, social reasons, over the next six years, they dropped to about 960. Okay, like so, the whole school did. Yeah, the whole school dropped that. But in that time, my first band with only, I think I ended up that May with 25 students in that very first band. But by my last, after six years, even despite the school basically dropping 25% of enrollment, I was able to gain, uh, my last band had 44 students. Wow. So I was able to maintain, even though the enrollment was dropping, I was able to maintain and grow a a, a band up to 44, but it it was brutal work. I mean, it it was, it was a lot of flexibility, a lot of calls and, and just trying to retain. If you got a student interested in band, just, just keep that student interested in band. And uh, so, you're at a public school, so I don't know what the rules are in terms of like cold calls, you know, recruiting within on campus. What What's it like there? Well, for basic recruiting, usually we would go to either if I'm recruiting for junior high now, but since I work at junior high and high school, my recruiting, I don't have to do much recruiting at the junior high because all the students that I have inquire, hopefully they would just transfer to choir in high school and I would mm. still have them. Yeah. Um, but as far as like going to the elementary school, we would, I would take like my high school group and sing in front of them and kind of tell them about choir. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I, this is my first year doing it. So I'm going to be doing recruiting here soon. Once we're getting, we just had some fifth graders tour um, on Tuesday. And so they came to the room and told them like five minute brief thing about choir. And then my kids sang for them and that was it. Um, But Clyde is a very, very small district. And I have a lot of students who are involved in lots of sports. Mm -hmm. And so I've had so many conflictions, um, even with my own concerts, um, having like, oh, I have a baseball tournament tournament that night. I can't come. And it's like, you can't say no because right. it's, it's baseball. And so, um, it's hard. And yeah, you do have to be flexible with that. Um, now I don't know for like other bigger public schools, like, like Abilene down the road. I don't, I really don't know how they do it, but, um, 
That's kind of how recruitment goes. Well, you know, there, there are some teachers that have a f- philosophy where it's, it's all or nothing. So, yeah. you know, they would, they would force students to say, okay, well, you just can't sing in choir anymore then. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Enjoy baseball. And, and there are big districts and I would bet money that if you look at, um, if you were to go to like the five or six, a all, um, what do they call it? The UIL state championships and let's say marching band mm-hmm. or whatever. If you were to look at some of those schools that have those amazing programs, I don't know if you've seen them, but they have these amazing field show tournaments that they, they look like professional yeah. uh, drum and bugle cores. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those band directors say, Hey, I don't want to hear it. You know, yeah. they're there. I got five other kids w- waiting for that spot. So you go out and you, you do something else. I don't, I don't care, you know, but for me, I've never been one to really be into that because mm-hmm. number one, I, I, for me, being in band, choir, orchestra, it's about the music mm-hmm. and, and not so much about, uh, a lot of the other things that go with it. So number one, it's about the music. If you've got a student interested in music, no matter, no matter what degree, it, meet that student where they're at mm-hmm. and, and work with them where they can and, and develop their musical skills. Because you know what? That, that that kid who loves baseball may turn around and be walking Definitely. out there and on, on that major league field someday, you never know, out there playing ball. But guess what? They love to sing. And they're like, maybe they go to church, they're in a church choir, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So you just never know. You're sparking lifelong learning. Yeah. And know. it's very cool. Whenever we've gone to football games, either at Clyde, I don't think we've gone to... I don't know, but seeing whenever the choir sings a national anthem mm-hmm. and you see all of the the cheerleaders come mm-hmm. sing with them and some of the football players come oh, join. It's wonderful it's, to see that, that, that's, that, right? That's what brings students in. So Heck if you're yeah. telling them that it's all or nothing, that's going to just push them away. Oh, yeah. Um, so. Agreed. Yeah, sure. Agreed. Well, I wonder, do you, I mean, Kara, do you think for right now, as far as something like cold calling, like calling individual parents, I mean, do you think that's still something you'd be allowed to do? I mean, um, I don't know if things yeah, have changed. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. How, yeah, how you know, I don't know because I wouldn't have, I mean, if there are people in my choir that I know already, I think that'd be okay. But if it's people that I'm not, I don't, I'm not familiar with yeah. or don't know, I don't, I, there, sure. how would I get that information? Yeah. That's the thing. Cause yeah. I only have yeah. the information of my students, like yeah. contact information, so but, um, but all I can do is really send out mass emails if sure. that's what I'm going to call cold calling right, right. Yeah. Uh, mass emails saying, Hey, come join choir. If I did a, mm-hmm. an interest meeting, things like right. that. Yeah. There see, sometimes what happens is that I remember at St. Paul, there would be like, um, a day where it was really a night where all the students of the area, um, Catholic, uh, elementary schools, cause they didn't have really middle schools. It's, it's K through eight, right. For, for a Catholic private Catholic school. So they would have a, a night at St. Paul where, you know, they would open it up. So I would get to address parents and students of all this, all the parents and students who came that night who are interested in sending their students to St. Paul. Mm 
So I, I would get to meet them in that regard. And so that was, that, that kind of saved time because now you got already the parents and the students there and you could give them a brochure. I mean, this was old school, right? I mean, we're talking, <laughs> I mean, in the nineties, right? I mean, uh, I mean, I left, I, I mean, I started working at St. Paul in, in this, in the fall of 88. That's how long ago that is. And so we're talking no internet, no anything. So, and, and so anyway, uh, so yeah, I got a chance. I don't know if there's like ever an open house yeah. at Clyde where, where yeah. you could actually see and greet. And We do now. It's already, whenever we have our open house, it's already when schools, it's like two weeks after school's already started, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's like, I can't oh, really promote to no. join choir because yeah. they already have their schedules all. And that, no. and that's not just Clyde. I've noticed that with a lot of high schools, they have their open house with all these yeah. clubs. And it's, it's usually us. promotion for clubs that meet out like after school. Right, right. Um, so if I had like an after school choir that I had, mm. I would promote that, but I don't have any schools yeah, that I meet like after, choirs yeah. that meet after school i feel like at my school it was kind of that same way like we used those opportunities it was more for like fundraising stuff like that, maybe yeah, we were like selling yeah. some choir themed right, shirt or something right. and then we would we would use that time to like try to fundraise but yeah yeah it'd be nice if there was an earlier thing but i will say that something that i've definitely learned as an admissions counselor at hsu is all about the importance of that one-on-one -on -one personal attention and yeah. connection to students, you know, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, to show them that they're not just a number, but yeah. that they're a name and that, that you want to personally know them and you want them to have an experience where they're going to be known. Right. That's going to be the most important thing for them to, to hear mm -hmm. uh, and to experience. And maybe even if you can't, you know, call people, you know, cold call, you know, students, right, uh, right. you know, which honestly, now that I think about it, it it would almost be easier to cold call nowadays since yeah. more students have their own phones, but well, yeah. also that might be kind of weird. Be, I don't know. Well, yeah, see, that, it, it, what it does is it kind of crosses a weird line. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden it becomes creepy, you know, yeah. now, it may, you know, you get, yeah, how'd you get my number, yeah. you know? Sure. And, and, but with anyway. that being said, I think that also raises the importance of forming those personal relationships with your students that you currently have Yeah, because mm -hmm. they, then they're going to experience that, and then they're going to tell, their, tell friends their friends about And that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened. My Going through my fall and went, uh, spring semester, I had at the junior high maybe 10 to 15 more students join the in the spring than I mm -hmm. had in, in the fall. And then I had maybe 10 other students at the high school that joined because their friends told them, hey, choir is fun, yada, yada, yada. And sometimes that's been good. Sometimes I've had some students <laughs> yeah, that yeah, enjoy that. I'm like, oh, yeah. maybe you shouldn't have joined. <laughs> 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 I think it's kind of a joke, you know. Uh, but it's uh, fine. Let's see, okay. Well, I was wanting to ask, still in terms of you know, you know, teachers in school and everything. So obviously, you're you've done really well, you know, at the college level. Um, you know, building and maintaining a, a theory program um i mean i know you're you're just teaching adjunct at hardin simmons now but you know when i was there and you were full-time i mean you had a really you know you had really solidified you know you had the theory side of things you had the ear training you had the keyboard and you you did really good at having all that work together now obviously that's in the context of a college you know higher level education where you know students have the ability to have 
more focus on each of those as a, you know, as a music major and throughout the week. But, you know, for teachers that are, you know, in middle school and high school uh, or even elementary um, that are obviously, first of all, don't get nearly enough time. I mean, a tiny fraction of that, you know, because. Yeah, I've, even- I've found it. It's very difficult for me to a implement that, like how to properly sing B the basics of music theory and then see also learning all of the yeah. music for concerts that we have it. And sometimes you have to implement the theory into the music that they're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you need like a full on lesson on mm-hmm. things. And that's been hard for me to just the balance between teaching basic theory in class. Oh, I can imagine it is tough. And, uh, but it's, it's fun because I remember I mean, all these things we discuss in theory pedagogy and, Mm -hmm. and so, um, and, and so I, it's wonderful because these issues, one of the things that we talk about is okay. In a normal classroom setting, how would you integrate theory into a rehearsal of any Mm -hmm. type? Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, it's kind of funny you brought this up at, so, you know, I, I taught, um, undergraduates and graduate students in composition and theory at Hardin Simmons for uh, t- over 20 years. And I just graduated my final, my, my final master student just submitted his thesis mm-hmm. and passed his orals just this week, mm-hmm. uh, Cody Hutchison. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, goodness what a great student and you know cody you guys know cody i mean we can't speak highly enough of him yeah so he is going to be the new band director at cisco college right down the street i I mean i don't know oh yeah yeah he um well, he's awesome. been there as, as an assistant, oh, but yes. now now he's, he's going to head now. Yes, he's going to oh, take on the head. So, cool. yeah, oh. yeah. So Cody's Cody's done this, but what's brilliant about uh, this situation is that Cisco is going to start an an associate's degree in music. And wow. Cody is the pri- is the <laughs> first guy to fu- to, to like fu- found to create the foundation oh of the of the theory core oh. for awesome. this degree, and so yeah. he is like the guy. And so, um, and so for his test, what I did is knowing that see he's already teaching music theory now first year. He's going to be teaching second year. So on his exam, I gave him. And the questions were, please construct a, a, a one-year curriculum outline for a music theory core curriculum, theory and ear training. And then the second question was, list some ways in which you would integrate uh, theoretical topics within a concert band rehearsal. And I put this in the context context of a two-year college in the state of Texas. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I said, That's how are good. you going to do it? And, and his answers were wonderful because I mean, he was able to like take his syllabi from his courses and, and adjust them and submit them and show them to the committee say, Hey, I'm doing this very thing. This is how I laid out my curriculum. These are the texts I use. These are when I test. And it was just all laid out. And then 
for his rehearsal, he just listed the things that he's learned and he does in his, his, his rehearsal techniques or whatever, uh, and, and the things that he does to integrate these topics. And so, I mean, I was, I was really proud because Cody isn't necessarily the first student to do this. I've had other students in the past who were either undergraduate or graduate who went on to teach at public schools or, or, um, private schools. And so this process of, of learning how to integrate them in the classroom or whatever level has, 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 has been really beneficial to the students. And so I was pleased with that. And of course, um, I'm really glad that you're doing it. I know how hard it is because I remember walking in those shoes and then, and, and a student, you know, had, right. So they have to play a major triad and they're just not hearing it. There's something's out of tune. And, and so you go, okay, what you're doing is this is a major triad. This is what it sounds like. These are the pitches that you're going to, as you play that you're going to hear, you want to hear these t- tones so that you, as you go from interval to interval, that, that, that you are in the center of the pitch so that we could all play in tune. Cause we all have to tune this chord and we all have a part of it. And all of us have to work together to make sure that it sounds pleasing. And so talking through these things, listening is, is so important. And I, I honestly, I don't think students, um, mind learning that I would yeah. bet money that it, it, how do they respond? Okay. Let me, I don't want to, I don't want to sh- color this. How do they respond when you do get an opportunity to explain something, the music theory behind it? They ask so many questions and they're good. <laughs> yeah. They're good questions. Um, whenever Excellent. I talk about, whenever I was first talking to them about key signatures, um, and like how they're sharps and flats, they as I, mean, I thought this was a really good question with my sixth graders who are just brand new to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they I thought it was a good question. Like, will you ever see sharps and flats in the same like with like intertwined within a key signature? And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, sharps are with each other and flats are flats with each with other. The, right, right. But you're not ever going to see them together. Now you can see key changes within a song, but right. you're not going but I just that's a really good question to ask. It's like such a young beginner. Um and they ask those type of questions and, and they seem really interested, which that's that's exciting to me that yeah, it is. um they're not just in they're not just excited to sing. They're excited to learn more about what music it really is. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, wow. There you go. A sixth grader. Yeah. Yay for the sixth grader. I have, I have <laughs> one student and he's just extremely smart and I think he's going to stay in choir or he's going to stay in music for a long time. He good, just good, asks good. so many questions. He's, he's like a genius. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you he's go. He's a young Dr. Cher. <laughs> he, no, feed the genius. Yeah. Keep going. It's like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Well, well, oh, just, good. just so that, you know, assuming that a lot of our listeners are, you know, teachers and, and, you know, most likely, you know, middle high school positions. Um, I'm just going to assume we're so early on, but I'm going to assume that's going to be most of our audience here to kind of just so that we can kind of give them more of a clear outline on maybe, you know, just advice that they can have as far as, you know, you know, they're in those positions where they don't have a lot of time. As mm-hmm. we, you know, just said, um, one of the techniques you just described was integration mm-hmm. was, you know, integrating music theory within the, uh, the rehearsal, even mm-hmm. if it just means taking like 
two minutes, three minutes yeah. to explain mm-hmm. one little mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Well, first of all, what what are just some examples of what that would look like? I know you kind of Carrie, I, kind of already. Yeah, I, mean, I can give you one example of where in music, um, and they see a little Fermata sign on the top. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take too long to to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just say, mm-hmm. okay, everybody, point to Simples. the little the dot the thing that looks like a bird's eye on top of the note. What and is, okay, is everybody pointing at it? And then I write on the board like that is called a Fermata. Everybody mm-hmm. say Fermata, and they repeat mm-hmm. it back yeah. to you, and then you just say. That is whenever, you know, you hold a note out as basically as long as I want <laughs> for yeah, you to hold it. And you're right. just going to look at me and then I will tell you when to stop. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just and, like a small thing that doesn't take too much time. To and do. another thing, and I don't know if you do this, but I know that Dr. Dr. D. Romines, who we're going to have on the show as well, we, mm-hmm. we, we probably already had him as an earlier episode, but um, he is always really good at when he does stuff like that, even, in, you know, choir mm-hmm. at, at yeah. HSU and colleges. Mm-hmm. Take the fermata, for example, he'll have us write down fermata, just using as an example, yeah. like, you know, write the word fermata yeah. above it. I, I specifically remember uh, the uh, hemiola. <laughs> That's one of the <laughs> yeah. little more advanced, you know, yeah. you know, the terms, but mm-hmm. I always remember writing hemiola on top of where there was a hemiola mm-hmm. in the, the music and he mm-hmm. just briefly explained it. And now I'm always going to remember what that is mm-hmm. because of our voice exchange. Exactly. Voice exchanges, <laughs> stuff oh, yeah. like that. So that's, that's really cool. Well, are, are there any other, um, well, any other examples or just techniques in general that you can think well, of? Um, yeah, I mean, purely notational things. Um, uh, I think every teacher should work on music literacy and because of how important it is, um, you know, and, and I have to admit, you know, there, there are lots of musicians out there who, who are famous, who picked up a guitar, uh, started learning guitar on the, themselves and they started to play, uh, they just picked up to sing by copying, singing on a radio, Next thing you know, they're, they're plucking out tunes They're They got, they put a set together and now they're in clubs and so on and so forth. And they become famous and they never learn how to read music. Well, the thing about it is school is about, well, one of the things school's about is literacy. And so as, as music teachers, music literacy for us is every bit as important as being able to read or, 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 or do math. So the thing about literacy though, what's the beauty of it is I, that's the door to, to music theory because now you, you, you learn a staff and you learn what clefs are and, and you learn how clefs operate and how they, those same five lines could be different notes actually. And lines and spaces can be different notes. So then you, you're, you're, you're learning how to navigate and then you learn, well, the staff, what were those? There's just five lines, but, but what's so special about those lines? What do those distances between the lines mean? And, and so I think another thing would be to take the staff and, and, and show, show what the staff looks like, uh, just in general, how it, how it maps onto motions on a piano. Yeah. Right. Up the staff means you move to the right, you know, down Mm -hmm. to the left. And, you know, what does this mean that they, that, that they could do that? So the staff is good. The reading clefs are good. And of course, uh, um, duration, duration values, phenomenal. Students love rhythm and, and everybody loves to, to move and tap, tap and, 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 and get into the music. So, 
So the whole concept of rhythms and durations and how those translate to, to then what you see and, and how you count. And so all those things, all those fundamental things um, are integrated in just the durations and, 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 and meter signatures. And, and, and then you move to, well, notes one right after another up or down becomes scales. And what are those distances? And, you know, every people could, think of a song, uh, you know, the sound of music, do, re, mi, fa, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And it, it, you could sing uh, on solfege a major scale. And then once it's in your ear, well then, hey, what does it look like on a page? Is it, what does it look like if it's just a little higher on the staff? And what do you got to adjust? And what, ooh, that's a key signature and blah. And it, and it just goes on and on and on. And so, I think music literacy is the door to um, uh, uh, theory. Also, to the last, uh, one of the little quips I have is I like to point to the piano and I like to say, hey, this is the giant theory machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that. yeah, yeah. remember that? The theory yeah. machine. And <laughs> it just, it, it is so true because mm-hmm. it, everything, it, it is, it was constructed going all the way back, you know, or the earliest keyboards, uh, you know, were constructed w- w- thinking of scales back mm-hmm. into the, mm-hmm. the middle or middle ages. And so, you know, just the concepts of, of writing scales and how, translating that into what it looks like on a keyboard is huge. And, and, you know, a, a, a little kid could go and up to the piano and touch a note and and that's a, and that's a note yeah. you know it's yeah. like yeah. hey what's go from one to the next mm-hmm. you know and so i have on, a so lot forth. of students like during our we have like little breaks in between our sight reading and then whenever we start rehearsal they'll ask like if they could play the piano and they'll like they'll pull up something on their phone uh, like it's like <laughs> awesome. those midi files right right and then right, it has, right, like, right the piano on the bottom right like, right Oh, I could play this. <laughs> exactly. And and they love it, right? Of course, it's I mean, ear training as well. Exactly. Because yes. now they got to match what they play. And if it doesn't match, ooh, I played a wrong uh-huh. note. Which one do I do to fix it? Yeah, to go higher or lower. Uh, exactly. I mean, think about all the cognitive skills that go into that, that they're learning. And it's just wonderful. So yeah. I'm glad and they're doing that. I also want to just give a shout out to all the elementary music teachers Mm -hmm. out there i mean i don't know about y'all but like for me i specifically remember learning those beginning like note durations and rhythms and what is the staff in in elementary music class Mm -hmm. and i mean i don't i mean that was you know a good while ago now i don't know if it's any different now or what they've i'm assuming they still focus on those kind of things but like that's just that really shows the importance of you know first of all having those relationships with the elementary Mm -hmm music teachers and, yeah. and the work that they do. Cause it's, I don't know about y'all, but like for me, like there are times where it, it like, I'll admit, like, like I forget like how much work mm-hmm. that they do they're, and they're how the, important. It's they're the, the founders. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> like, yeah, the founders. Yeah. So for, for, uh, admirable here. It's just because, so just this week, like I said, I, I streamed this big fancy conference. Uh, concert at the Aveline Civic Center. So you got the ACU 
uh, wind ensemble performing with the Civic Orchestra of Abilene, and they brought in a a, a really famous composer who, forgive me, I, I'm, the name oh, escapes me. It was uh, Stephen Bryant. Stephen Bryant, yes, thank you. And and so they brought him in, and there was this big thing, and they had the they played beautifully, and and I thought to myself, you know, these are college students, and then. And then there, the Civic Orchestra had, um, uh, well, folks my age, quite frankly, and uh, integrated with the, uh, um, the students. And all of that would not have been possible if mm. years ago yeah. they started in that elementary school classroom. I mean, that's where it started. And so you have this beautiful, wonderful musical event. They, they sounded great. It sounds like professionals in many instances. And none of that would have happened with, without those elementary school mm-hmm. teachers and middle school teachers and high school teachers all laying the groundwork year after year after year. And so, you know, but you know, no, no one said, you know, you don't say that, you know, hey, for this tonight's concert yeah. was made possible yeah. by all those awesome teachers uh-huh. out there. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. You, you just don't do that, but maybe you should someday. <laughs> well, so I'm thinking, so obviously we've just discussed, there are a lot of different aspects of, mm-hmm. obviously there are so many different aspects of music theory and, mm-hmm. and you can get into so many different mm-hmm. specific categories and, and everything. I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of, of, you know, some, you know, music teachers, you know, kind of like, you know, you Kara and, and I'm thinking, okay, if, if I want to start integrating, you know, I want to start integrating music theory into my curriculum. And, um, if, and, and some schools are able, I, sh- I should have mentioned this too. I was lucky enough to be in a district that had separate music theory classes in high wow. school. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like AP music. Yes. Theory. I was oh, one yeah, of the yeah, really lucky ones. I know that's not the case for most right. places, but so with that being said, any teachers that don't have that luxury, and they're 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 thinking, okay, I want to integrate music theory, mm-hmm. but there's so much, you know, there's so many different right. things that I could you know focus on, and I'm kind of getting overwhelmed. On what you know, I think it'd be easiest to boil it down to, you know, if there were just three or four, just a few different key aspects that you think is the most important things that you could at least start with, just as a starting point that or, students need to at least be able to start hearing and, and learning. What, right. what would you oh, feel yeah, like those very are? Good. No, number one, like I said earlier, um, all the uh, theory elements that are just simply in music literature, literacy, you know, um, durational values, key signatures, different clefs, get, get folks outside of their uh, comfort zone of, you know, band or uh, band. It's usually, they just play one clef, get, get them outside of that comfort zone. Have, have a dry erase board up there in your band rehearsal or your choir rehearsal with a staff on it. And, um, and, and be, be, be quick about it. If there's something that you could integrate, get it up on that staff, show people and have them do it. Visuals. Yes. Visuals are extremely important. Number two, I would say is that it's your warm up. When you be, it, it, it's, it's, you start off at the beginning of class on a warm up. So here's what you do. You integrate elements from the piece, your rehearsal that day. In, into your warm up, and what you do then is you show them. Okay, everybody, uh, let's take a look at this rhythm. Ta 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 ta. ta. Okay, everybody, let's. Uh, here's what it looks like 
even if, because there will be some students who don't actually play or sing that particular rhythm or whether this is how you do it. This is how you count it. Let's do this. Okay. Let's now, uh, sing a major scale or play a major scale. Uh, this particular scale after you've explained all this on this rhythm. Okay, everybody. So, so your warm up is the place where you could do that. If you have corrals, if you'd have corrals, well, have them instead of playing it, uh, teach them major solfege and have them sing it. You know, there's no reason why band kids shouldn't be singing their tails off every rehearsal a band kid should be singing. So perhaps that's number three. So number one was the notation. Number two was have that dry erase board with visuals to anything. And number three or number two also is during warmups, um, um, integrate theory radical concepts. And finally three, all throughout the rehearsal, you can have your students sing their parts, just, just flat out sing the parts. And for, uh, choir kids, um, of course they're already singing, uh, well, get, get out of the text, sing yeah. on solfege, yeah. you know, um, play the and, and sometimes play the even parts, taking yeah. out the, even taking out the solfege and just singing on a neutral syllable. Mm hmm. That helps too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and yeah. I'm in. I was gonna say yeah for for the vocalists have them play the parts. Oh, yeah. Just the reverse too. It's all about bridging. There are so many different connections between mm -hmm. in, in the, between the skills and everything. And and also going back to the warm ups thing, I was I was wanting to mention that. And I, I don't know, maybe music ed majors. Th this is more of a normal thing that they already kind of know. But like, it wasn't until like I don't know, maybe a year or two years ago that it finally clicked, and I realized, oh maybe the warmups aren't just for, you know, like literally warming up your voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's warming it's more, you up for later. It's warming up your brain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. not a physical. It's maybe it's more of a mental thing. <laughs> yeah. And if there's one thing I think though, that um, uh, teachers always need to do is that they need to uh, um, um, voice the thought processes behind things like, um, you know, something, and I, and I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but the idea behind it is I, I know I do this in uh, a theory is I, I say uh, every now and then, Hey, what I just did was this type of um, uh, modeling exercise that you're going to do in the classroom. I don't know if you remember anything where I would say that I just modeled for you blank or um, these are the th thought processes behind this, this, and this. And this is what uh, I'm thinking and that uh, you should help your students yeah. think. And so verbalize your thought processes so that then they could be understand yeah. that and then integrate that into their own thinking. It's, it's so I feel like it's so easy to, to just teach the stuff and then realize, you know, you give them the different, it's like looking at a map, like you can look at where all the different cities are on a map, but you mm -hmm. don't, if you don't have any of the roads. Uh, how do you get the roads there? In between them, how do you get from one to? There could be a huge, you know, <laughs> yeah. river in between. You don't know that you're yeah, gonna have to, you know, right, right, like, right. exactly. <laughs> so you exactly. have to go around, you know. So right. that's 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 really cool. That's awesome. Right, right. I feel like there was something else I was gonna say, but oh, oh, other thing, um, another random little um, thing that I observed from being in choir with Dr. Romines that I thought was also a really good mm -hmm. little integration technique was. Um, and Dr. Wright, who was the choir director here a few years ago, um, is they they would always 
instead of saying when you, when calling out a piece of music that we're going to sing instead of calling it by the title you would call, call by it the by the composer, composer. Mm. so it it forced you to remember the composer yeah and so if they said you know pull out the the duroflay it's like okay well which I mean, I, I, it's like maybe I can't remember which, you know, but, right, but then right, you remember right. the composer mm-hmm. and then and then Dr. Romines is also really good at he always gives us like three or four three facts points that we need to write yeah, down about the composer mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. dates. And mm-hmm. it's it's like, man, simple little things like that. Like, that's not hard to do yeah. for no, know, middle geez. and high school. Especially at the beginning, like handing yeah. out that piece of music. You're not entirely ready to start like rehearsing it, yep. but just yeah. playing it for them and be like, hey. This is some facts about and it. It starts getting into music history. Yeah. You know? Oh, you betcha. Mm-hmm. So, you betcha. Cool. Yeah. So um, I hope the uh, music teachers out there, I hope they're encouraged, you know, to, to build, build them up. This is a, you know, I'm a college professor and uh, I mean, I, I even taught graduate students and um, uh, I even... Uh, over the years have helped my colleagues get their doctorate degrees uh, as they were teaching. And I just, so somebody who's lived in that world, I, I, I just want to reiterate to the, 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 the first year teacher out there at a middle school and a, or an elementary school in the middle of West Texas that man, they're, they're just doing the Lord's work. And, and those kids they need uh, those musical experiences every bit as much as, you know, a, a, a student at a, at, a, at a big school mm-hmm. in the Metroplex. And so um, that those very first steps for those, those, those kids are so important. I mean, because look yeah. at it. We all love music. And where did we first learn to fall in love with mm-hmm. it? When we're little kids yeah. in school. Yep. You know, yeah. and, and, and there, and there's some people, you know, you, you read about their stories about famous composers who, who in, in their home, their mom or dad would play like records. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. in, in many ways I, I, I was that way too. I mean, I remember being a small kid and, or, or early on and my dad, uh, he, he had a musical background, even though he was a school teacher and I remember him playing uh, Beethoven LPs. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up hearing, um, uh, it was back in um, 1976. So that, as, as you can imagine, that was a long time ago. 1976 was the, it was the 200th anniversary of Beethoven's birth or no, it was 1970. It was in the seventies. Yes. 1970 was the 200th anniversary of Beethoven's birth and Deutsche gramophone put out these series of records um, of all of Beethoven's music. And my dad bought quite a bit of it Mm -hmm. and, and he would listen to it. So maybe, maybe that, had an influence on me to yeah. this day. Beethoven's my, yeah. my favorite composer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even got 
a, a little a Beethoven bust on my on uh, my office uh, a bookshelf, and then my mother in law, God bless her, got me a little stuffed Beethoven doll, yeah. and it sits at the very top <laughs> next to the Beethoven bust, and then he, it's like he's looking down at me. You better keep composing, yeah, hey, yeah and you better don't yeah. ever stop listening to my music. Yeah. <laughs> and, and oh, oops, sorry, I didn't mean to hit them out. Anyway, so so the deal is maybe that happened, and maybe mm-hmm. there's people out there who have stories like that. That's great. Maybe it started beforehand, but whatever happened, when you first get into the formal education, that those very first steps, guided by that music teacher. Mm-hmm. Years, decades later, you have no idea yeah. the the in, impact it yeah. will have. It's planting the seeds. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? yes, wow. yeah. Well, and and I'll just I'll I'll leave with this. My very first music teacher, and I, I'm going to give out a shout about it because mm-hmm. he he's it. no longer here. Was Mister Osley, and Mister Osley was about ready to retire. In fact, he did retire like right after my fifth grade, he was there. And where, where was this? It was, it was in Tulare, California. Mr. Osley was a World War II veteran. And we always wondered why he walked with a limp. He, mm-hmm. he, 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 he would kind of move a, 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 unusually. And my dad told me that Mr. Osley lost his lower leg during World War II. And so we were like his very last class. And I remember Mr. Ossie was very patient with us. And this man was, was, was a World War II vet, had wounded, lost his leg. And there he was in Tulare, California, teaching little kids, hmm. fifth graders, how to play. Well, I played my you know, trumpet, but all the kids getting them yeah. ready for band. Think about that. Yeah. And, and that yeah. was f- f- 50 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. 40, almost Man. 50 years ago. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a really good way to wrap yeah. this up. I, I don't yeah. think you've really topped that. That's a good, it's <laughs> a good way to end it. Well, mm-hmm. well, cool. Is there anything else you want to ask? No, Rattle? that's it. Okay. Well, cool. Well, before we go, I mean, obviously you are still an active composer and you have your recording business. So do you want to just kind of plug your, your different, you know, your websites and just tell us where, where oh. people can find you if they are oh, okay. interested in commissioning you or getting you to record anything in the area? Well, that, that, that's nice. Yes. My <laughs> website is BernieShareComposer.com. And that's just all one. Bernie, B-E-R-N-I-E-S-C-H-E-R-R-C-O-M-P-O-S-E-R. <laughs> yeah, com- yeah, whoever, composer. <laughs> yeah, BernieShareComposer.com. That's my website. And uh, I have some information about me. And I have a, that's where I have my web store. So, um, uh, so if you go and you, and you listen, I, 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 am still in the process of populating it, but, uh, if you go there, um, you, you'll, you could go through, you could peruse scores, you could listen to them. Uh, I got recordings and so you could purchase scores. Uh, you just pay through PayPal and, uh, also too, you can get, um, you'll find out about, um, you'll, you'll have my contact information and, and, um, and that's really the main starting point is BernieShareComposer.com. And we could put that like in the description. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes too. 
I think cool. so. They should be able, people should be able to like click, click on the link easily. and they can just go right to it. Oh, good. I'd love that. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd love that. Yeah. Do you have a separate website for your recording business or is that more? No, of just a it, it's thing? just basically um, on. So on the home page, there's a left hand column of all the, 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 the links. Mm-hmm. Well, all I did was to, I just, you could, you'll see it there. It'll go, you know, Bernie share orchestra, blah, blah, blah mm-hmm. pieces. And then near the bottom, it'll have, uh, the composers consortium. That's a p- thing that I'm involved with right now. And then below that will be B and D music services. Okay. And so you just click B and D music services and it'll, it'll explain, Hey, cool. th- this is all the stuff we do. And, and then this is how you contact us. Cool. And you do, y'all do recording and streaming video. Streaming, right, right. Right. Yeah. So what we do, I mean, obviously, um, with my background, I prefer to remain in the concert music world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, and so I, I, I record, um, live events, uh, of, 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 of concert music mm-hmm. and I could stream live events mm-hmm. of concert music. Um, and one of the things that I, I do is I, I well, I can do is uh, I could go remote. So all I need yeah. is electricity and my encoder. I could stream wirelessly cool. or I prefer like a wired and str- uh, unwired mm-hmm. connection. But the idea is I stream, I record. And um, uh, so I, I prefer concert music. Cool. Well, mm-hmm. if so, we're in Abilene. So if you are, uh, you know, a you know a director of an ensemble, and you're in the <laughs> Abilene area, or I guess kind of West Texas, Central. West I don't know Texas, how far you're yeah. willing to travel, but you know that that kind of area of Texas, you know where to find Doctor Share. Uh, he's a really powerful asset to Abilene, I think, yes. uh, oh, in many you. different ways. So oh, we're you. we're so glad that you're here and that you're able to come on the show with us for a little bit. Yes. It's been great. It's been awesome. <laughs> All yeah. right. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Dr. Bernard share everybody. Yeah, man. Um, he knows a lot of stuff. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a little anecdote really quick. There'd be times in, um, what music theory sophomore year where we'd be going over post-tonal stuff. And I had no idea what we were talking about. Half the class didn't really know what we were talking about. That's and fair. Dr. Cher would look at us and be like, come on guys, this is easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. He's probably the only guy, at least in Abilene that looks at post-tonal theory and is like, Oh, come on y'all. It's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, Kara, tell us some things that you feel like you got out of that conversation. Well, this year, um, and I said this earlier, um, that it's been a little hard to find a balance between teaching music theory and doing everything else I'm supposed to do in the class. Um, and basically just implementing those little teachable moments into the rehearsal, um, whether that be notational things or um or visuals um and how warm up your warm up time is a great great time to talk about music theory and your warm up isn't just warming up your voice it's warming up what you're about to get into mm-hmm. in about 20 minutes in the class so yeah and the importance of 
explaining to your students yes. why you're doing those warm-ups and yes i'm not i'm not saying none of my teachers ever did this i probably just wasn't paying attention but but i know that that's something that would you know would really it really helps me when when a teacher says we're doing this warm-up because mm-hmm. it helps you do this in this section of the music and it's like oh yeah <laughs> so it makes everything kind of have a reason and yeah I yeah. know my students have appreciated that or like they've found the connection. They have that kind of like that light bulb moment, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's why we, we did that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, you know, some people say it's better to focus. So like for me personally, what we talked about that really helped me was whenever he said it's it's really good to have a diverse uh, amount of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people say, especially like in regards to business and stuff, it's really good to uh, to focus on one thing because you become really, really good at it. And and that is true even for stuff like this. But with a subject like music, there is so much um, crossover between different subjects and areas that looking at a, at different things to study and practice is going to exponentially help all those other things as well. So it's kind of a cool kind of cool how those all, all those different things kind of relate to one another. So, um, but yeah, so just to recap the things, I just thought we'd recap here at the end. Um, the, the three main things that, that Dr. Sher talked about, about how you can work on integrating music theory into the classroom. We thought those were especially good that we wanted to recap here. Number one, three key steps. The number one is you really want to point out um, just those notational things, kind of like Kara just mentioned, and and help the students visualize them. Um, he mentioned you, you got to have a staff on the whiteboard mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, you know, draw the stuff on there or, or at very least have like a projector where you can easily like put up in a circle, something on the music yeah, or something and like also that. Also something else, if you're teaching basic, um, note names, I always use a hand staff. So I tell my students to um, oh, yeah. bring out their hand and you know, uh, your hand is like the perfect representation mm-hmm. of a musical mm-hmm. staff because you have five fingers and in between those five fingers, you have four spaces and it's right there yep living on them yep that's awesome um so that's number one notation and plus you know making sure they are able to visualize that i myself i should also add i'm a huge visual learner so if someone just tells me something i'm not going to remember but if they can illustrate it for me like in a picture or they give me something to kind of put it in some sort of visual form that's going to help me so much more so um that's really really important the next thing number two is the importance of the warm-ups and how they are integrated into what you are doing in the music. And again, illustrating to your students how those warm-ups are helping with the music. We just kind of talked about this, that a second ago, so don't really need to go in depth with that. And then finally, number three is having your students sing or play the parts depending on, uh, you know, depending on which ensemble they're in. So if they're in an instrumental ensemble, have them sing it. And if they're in choir, have them play it, you know, give them assignments to go and, you know, play their, their part, or at least a certain section. Maybe you could, I don't know, I'm just thinking maybe if you're a teacher, you have your students submit a recording of themselves, you know, plunking out, I don't know, eight, eight measures <laughs> into, into their voice memos and, and emailing it to you or something like that, just to know that, um, that they've been able to look at that and kind of make that connection from, uh, from, you know, their, um, uh, from what they're singing onto the piano. So, um, but yeah, really, really good uh, things to be uh, taken into account here. Kara, is there anything else you want to add before we go? Nope. 
As always, if you're enjoying the podcast so far, we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you could do that, we'd greatly appreciate it. That'll help us grow quickly uh, and therefore bring on even better guests. So uh, again, if you could leave us a rating, that would be greatly appreciated. All righty. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Measure. We will see you all next week, next Monday. uh, New episode uploads at midnight. See you later.